Uh, good afternoon, everybody. I'd just like to thank everyone for coming, of course, Rothko Chapel and the fine team of people that thought it would be nice to invite me to uh, talk a little bit about... Oh, is that my phone? Or? It's not my phone. <laughs> Uh, a little bit about the traditions uh, in particular, I think it was like meditation or prayer or pondering or reflection from an orthodox point of view. When it says Serbian Orthodox or Greek Orthodox or Russian, there's no real quote-unquote differences in practice. I would say it's pretty much um, uniform throughout. The only difference is that um, the language that it is done in which is kind of interesting because when we look at some of the words, like words are important even then when we use them, or silence is important when we don't use any words, you know, because the, the Greek word anthropos, anthropology and all that other stuff, it literally means one who looks up, you know what I mean? So when you look, you know what I mean? One who looks up and then the ancient Greeks, God is up there. In Russian and in Serbian, the word for human or man, but it's, it's human, right, being, right? Both is celoviek. Cello is forehead. Viek is eternity. One whose forehead faces towards eternity. So usually when we do meditate and when we pray, usually it's with our mind, right? And then we verbalize it sometimes or we internalize it, either or. Some of the things that uh, we use, per se, uh, is, and I, and I brought them here with us, brothers and sisters. You see, I, I think I'm back in church now. I'm talking to my own congregation. But it's like, that's the way that I feel, that we're all, you know, children. And, and I really do mean that I'm not being condescending when I call you that. Because it's like, unless we, we feel like that, then we're not going to make it, you know. And so... We have, uh, I brought some icons, right, because icons are very central to any kind of orthodox worship or prayer service. As soon as you walk into a church, that's the first thing that hits you. It's like, quote, unquote, the theology in color, right? And so when we, you know, we venerate icons, and that's just a big word. When we venerate, that means we kiss the icon, right? And so some have an aversion to that. They're like, what does that mean? But it would be like when you walk into somebody's home, usually, I mean, those of us that still hang pictures of our family, if we still love them, like down the hallway, right? <laughs> We've got a whole bunch of them, right? It's like those are pictures of our family, maybe some of the family members that are no longer with us, right? And it's like if they're like a, the mother whose son or daughter is fighting overseas and they have a picture and she holds it dear to her heart and kisses that child's picture before she goes to bed, she's not worshiping the picture or the frame or the glass, it's the memory of her child. And so when we have icons in, in Orthodox churches, those are used for that specific reason. Right? It centers us, it makes us pay attention to what is going on but most importantly, I'd like to remind uh, all of us here present, the most important icon that was ever created is you and me, right? In orthodoxy, we believe that we are living, breathing, walking, talking icons. If we're made in the image of God, 
then that is the most important icon that we should venerate. But nevertheless, we do use icons as, as tools. We also have, I mean, I know that some of us probably have seen like in, in Roman Catholic tradition or the, the rosary or in other like uh, Eastern traditions, they have the prayer beads. I don't really know what material they're made from, you know, Greeks have the wari beads and the other people. In, in Orthodox tradition, we, we call it the, in English, it's called prayer rope. In Slavonic, it's the counter, you know, because you use it to count. And it's made from wool. The reason why is not only that we are environmentally friendly in the Orthodox Church and have been for thousands of years, but um, the reasoning is that symbolic, of course, we believe that Christ is our shepherd and we are quote-unquote rational sheep that can speak and that can talk. And so, hence, that's, that's how we incorporate that. And the, the most important prayer that we use in the Orthodox tradition for meditative, for contemplation purposes, we call it the Jesus prayer. And it's like, Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy upon me. Then later they added, have mercy, you know, upon me, a sinner, right? But traditionally it was like, have mercy upon me. It's a story from Luke's gospel. I think it's um, chapter 18. I'm not as well versed as, you know what I mean, my other brothers and sisters in other like faith denominations, you know, like the Baptists or the other ones that know how to quote. Thank God, I'm, I'm very jealous and envious, you know, that they know exactly you know, it's like, Luke 18, verse this, you know, but it's Luke, it's 18, <laughs> one out of four is not bad, you know what I mean? But there's a classic story, and we use this as a point of reference, because a lot of people always ask, how should one pray, right? And I'll use the other example. It's like the first one is like the publican and the Pharisee. And I always have to tell my guys, it's not Republican and Pharisee, it's publican. You know what I mean? But they both go to church, right? Or the temple, the synagogue, whatever, house of worship, the holy place, right? Uh, the Pharisee is a member of the religious elite, adheres to the strictest letters of the law. And he follows everything that the Torah prescribes for him, right? He fasts, he tithes, he prays, he does everything, does not, you know, commit adultery, doesn't break the other Ten Commandments. And the one thing that is pointed out, and he points his finger, and he says, thank God I am not like that publican, that tax collector. While the tax collector, who wasn't, of course, he wasn't loved by the community, because he, he was the one that had to collect the taxes for the Roman soldiers. So it's like, when some, it's like the IRS when they come to your house, or like a tax collector. You know, I've only got one daughter, but if I had four, I'd say, yeah, yes, one daughter, no. Then that, that pub, the, uh, that, uh, the public would say, no, he doesn't. He's got three other kids. He's hiding them upstairs, so we need more, you know, taxes from him, right? So what happens is that he beats his chest and he says, Lord, have mercy upon me. And then Jesus says, truly, truly, I say unto you, he went home justified. And so that is the central focal point in orthodoxy. Just 
uh, prescribing or fulfilling the outer letter of the law is dead unless we have love and faith and, you know, all the other good stuff that we're supposed Aren't we supposed to love each other and respect each other and do all the, you know, those other things? So that is the central prayer, usually, that we use. Traditionally, it was done by monastics in monasteries. And then later, you'll see that, that, that some of the faithful, like parishioners, will, will wear a uh, prayer rope around their wrist. It usually has 33, symbolic one for each year that Jesus was alive on earth. So that's, they'll, they'll wear that prayer rope. And, and we kind of mentioned it, Ashley and I, it's like, a modern-day prayer rope, dare I say, and I don't mean to be sacrilegious, but it was like, remember like Lance Armstrong? Remember when he had the yellow rubber band around his wrist and then every kind of person has that thing and it's like a reminder of what we believe or what we adhere to? So that's kind of like a, what we would say a modern-day prayer rope, but something that focuses us and then people ask, oh, what is that? And so um, these are just some of the things, the three things that they do in the Orthodox Church that bring us to that contemplative state is reading the Bible, right? Maybe concentrating in silence. You know, you can do it at home in private. Sometimes you can do it in, in the church or the chapel or whatever. That is encouraged. And it is not per se the words that you say or how many psalms you actually read, but it's losing yourself in that and letting the words hopefully be planted or replanted into you know our mind and in our heart and so that's that's one of the ways singing is another form of of losing oneself and just letting go and singing hopefully if we're on key if we're not you know if we're off key then that's going to drive me crazy and then the whole meditative experience is going to be ruined right but uh, if we, we, we do that, and then, of course, we mentioned also icons. Because church services sometimes are long in the Orthodox Church, right? And so, um, thank God, you know, it's, sometimes it's boring, right? But a professor of mine says boring doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing. Bore means to drill, right? When you bore a hole... It's like, I'm boring a hole in your head, and maybe some of this information that I'm telling you hopefully will go in there one day. So it's like uh, that um, when we look at icons, we lose ourselves. A lot of people don't listen. I've, I've witnessed it myself. I've, I've been on both opposite ends, from like the priest in the altar and then with the other people. It's like the more icons that you have, I mean people just lose themselves. And it's beautiful kind of to see that they'll look at a certain event or a certain uh, saint that might evoke something or something from the Old Testament or something in the New. An image and paintings and artwork is important because they evoke a lot of different feelings and reactions from us, just the same as music, just the same as words and all of that uh, other you know, good stuff. Um, and do I have more time? Because I can, a little bit more. Because I'm afraid, you know what I mean? Once I, a pastor, priest, minister, anything, once they have an attentive audience and nobody else can talk, 
right? Sometimes we get carried away. I'm not that bad. And in conclusion, but before I end, but let me bring something else up that I forgot earlier. But I think this is the, the three things that we use, as we said, the reading, and it could be just, you know, from the Old Testament, it could be from the New Testament, it could be, you know, the Psalms, it could be stories, uh, singing, there's church songs like the hymnals that, that we have, and usually sometimes it's like, usually everyone has their favorite, you know, and, and they'll keep singing the same one. We don't have a monopoly on hymns, you know, because we've got a lot, but there are some that definitely uh, I like, right? And so that, that centers me as well. And then the icons. And then the whole thing about, you know, the Jesus prayer, and I'll end with this one too. Uh, it comes from also St. Paul, in his letters, and I don't know which letter, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be truthful with you guys, I don't know which letter he wrote, but he said, pray without ceasing. And then the other disciples later on, they said, how is that possible? Because we can pray now while we're awake, while we're conscious, you can pray verbally, but then later it's like, uh, how do we do it? So the tradition was, it's like, first you start verbally, then you start mentally, saying the, the words, and then you're supposed to say it while breathing. Lord Jesus, have mercy upon me. You know what I mean? So it's like that was, the, that was the intent. So it's 24 hours, seven days a week, right? There are some supposedly that have attained that. I can't pray that long because thank God I get distracted by the problems and the worries in the world like the rest of us. But I think this series here right now, it's beautiful, it's a tool. Help us calm down from the craziness outside. But you know what the irony is, friends? No matter how beautiful and wonderful this is, we have to go back outside into that crazy, hectic, you know, place. So hopefully we will get something of value for us, you know, today. We'll hopefully use it because we're all children, right? And hopefully everyone's got something maybe smart or wise to say. The way that I would do it, I would just pass around an icon. I've only got a couple. I didn't want a lot or to have it on a print card, even though they offered, they were kind enough. Icons in the Orthodox tradition are holy and so, I mean, I don't, you know, oh, that's a nice card. And then, you know, I do it too sometimes. You know, I, I don't throw it away, but I got a nice pile of where I keep them. You know what I mean? And so, um, in our faith tradition, the, the, the number one icon that all Orthodox kind of go to, our go-to icon, is the icon of Mary with her child Jesus. Because we always have those two together, traditionally. Right? because we do believe that God loved us so much that he became flesh, right? That he has a real mother, right? And so there's love expressed in that icon, right? And an icon, and then I'll end with this, as I said, painting an icon or writing an icon, because it's iconography. Graphy means to write, graphy. Let's be realistic, we paint an icon. But, you know, some people call it, you know, theology maybe, as I said, in color. I didn't know this, but it uses 
uh, mineral matter, like from the earth, certain like herbs, flowers, certain rocks that you crush and you melt, you know what I mean, that you get a certain color. You have to use an egg yolk, so the animal kingdom is involved, right? The earthly, the mineral. Then, of course, it takes a human being to make it. So it's all of creation participates in that. And so I will end with that. Thank you for listening to me. Uh, as I said, um, the way that we will maybe practice this last couple minutes is that, like I said, I will pass the icon just for us to look at, right? And I'll pass the prayer rope. But the prayer that we use, the Orthodox prayers, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy upon me, right? You know, in the Greek and in the Latin, but that is, that is the prayer that we use. And so, but and then again, I'm like, I, I know I'm contradicting myself because it's like, yes, it's very powerful, but some say be careful because once you start on this, right? It's not just the words, right? It's not, you know, it's not a magical inca, you know, incantation that you just use. It's something that hopefully will be planted in our heart and that we could use. Are we ever going to get upset? Of course. Are we still going to get angry at, at each other? Yes. Right? But always remember that um, as best as we can, we're human beings. We're living, breathing icons, and we have to treat each other as best as we can. So let me pass these around. I'll start with this end, and then we'll go this way.
think we saved the last couple of minutes. See, that was wild for me. Because I've forgotten how uh, uncomfortable and comfortable silence can be, right? I think that's part of the struggles that I have, and I think I thank you guys for bringing that up to me, you know, during especially this time of Lent, you know, time of reflection, because it's like constantly bombarded with all these things, and yet I find it difficult to sit with all you for, you know what I mean, a couple of minutes just in silence, which is beautiful, which is what we all long for, and then we finally get it. I should say me when I finally. <laughs> but it's like, uh, thank you, I really do. So I think the, the last couple of minutes are reserved for questions, if anybody has any. I've answered everything. But I'm wondering, in your tradition, is silent meditation part of the practice you would find? Because you mentioned your own sense of being silent, which is, you know, how does that such a curiosity? I would say more so, like, again, because I'm missing my familiar trappings which would be somebody might be singing, somebody might be chanting, and or there might be icons around. And it's usually in the evening, because none of the lights are lit, and so we'll have vigil, vigil lamps in front of the icons. So it's like, it's darker, it's more meditative. You know, I, I find that I love the evening services. I've always loved the evening services, even from seminary hated, God forgive me if I could use that word, I hated the morning services, right? But the evening, there was just something beautiful about them. And so that, that's, where I, that's where I would get it, you know. More in the evening, definitely, you know. So... No, that's a very good point. I, I love the Desert Fathers. They're actually my favorite. Like, it was a precursor maybe to monasticism or after. Because when the Roman Empire, right, my patron saint of our church is Constantine, Constantine the Great, who was the first one to make Christianity free, right? And so when the emperor is a Christian, the policeman's a Christian, the judge, jury, you know, everyone, the shopkeeper, everyone became a Christian. So the Desert Fathers felt like a little bit that the, the strictness before, because they were being persecuted, but it wasn't like nonstop persecution. And so there was like a little bit of lack. So the Desert Fathers, that's when monasticism kind of grew, like communities of like men together or communities of women came together, and then they would pray and meditate. But the ideal day of a monk, they said, is eight hours prayer, eight hours work, 
eight hours sleep, right? And so they would have people that would ponder and, and reflect on certain things, but I think the reason why I love the Desert Fathers the most, forgive me, not that they didn't reflect and ponder and meditate, but they lived their faith by practical manners, right? There was a case in point, there was a monk, a brother within the community, and he was supposed to be judged or kicked out of the monastery. So everyone is running to the main hall, you know, for the, for the, the judgment to come. And there was another famous monk, Moses, who tied a basket around his waist, and he filled the basket full of stones. Now he's walking from his monastic cell all the way down to the main, I don't know, wherever they ate and they congregated. Oops, sorry, I didn't mean to do that. It forces everyone around to take notice. What is this guy doing, right? He's carrying a basket full of stones around his waist, and everyone goes, Moses, what are you doing? He goes, uh, everyone else is getting ready to judge our brother, and look at all the sins that I'm dragging behind me. And then everyone went back to their, to their cells. They didn't go forward with the, with the judgment, right? And that's what I love. I mean, they could have debated the merits and they could have quoted scripture and they said, well, give him another chance and how many chances, seven times 77. But the, the reason why I love them is that they, they practice their faith kind of indeed. I'm not saying that they didn't. I mean, I can quote a couple that did, right? St. Anthony the Great, St. Pachomius, you know, all these, there was a, a new, dare I say, even back in the 4th or 5th century, there was somebody supposedly who had new, new wave or new age thought, right? And they're debating with, um, I, think the, I think the elder's name was Makarios. And he says, and then the monks were troubled and they didn't know. He's like, well, he's got this fascinating new teaching and all this other stuff. He goes, what are we going to do? And uh, the elder goes, okay, let's have a contest. The first one to raise somebody from the dead, he goes, do you agree that they're the winner? And he goes, well, seeing that you came up with the idea, he goes, you go first, right? And so, you know, tradition says, you know what I mean? Whether or not it's true, it's beside the point, right? I love the story. I've learned that I love the story. And the, the older that I'm getting, I swear to God, whether or not it's 100% true, I don't mean to scandalize anyone. I, I love the story. What is the point of the story, right? And so he resurrects him from the dead, and, and, and then everyone, you know, all the monks, you know, are quiet. It's like, okay, we get it now. You know what I mean? Let's keep practicing. Let's keep doing what we need to do. Right? Living in a brotherhood, helping one another, praying, and, you know, and, and contemplating in that, in that respect. Sorry, I didn't even uh, uh, answer your question. I was like too busy talking. <laughs> but uh, no, I really do. But what I want to say is that I love the Desert Fathers and Mothers. I really do. They're my favorite. Have always been. But I don't, to answer in a weird way, I don't think that they did as much then. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't selfish. I'm not saying selfish, but it wasn't self. It was more faith in practice. Right? That's how I would do it. Contemplation in practice. I mean, they never, 
I mean, I really do. I love all their stories. There was another time, there was another monk. Sorry, I know I'm boring you. I don't mean to, but there was like a classic story. There was like a monk. He's, he's working in the fields doing whatever, and there was a young girl who fell in love with someone that she wasn't supposed to fall in love with, and she got pregnant. And then the safe person to blame was the monk, right? Or the desert father. So they beat him up, the village people, not the village people, but I should say the people of the village. <laughs> the townsfolk beat him up, right? And he wakes up and goes, hey, what are you doing on the ground sleeping? He goes, get up and get to work. You got a wife and a child, I mean, to feed. Do you know what I mean? That's what I love about them. It's like they, they, they lived it, so sorry. I didn't answer it again, you know what I mean? I answered it with another story. <laughs> Well, my gravitation is, is up there, right off the bat. Do you know what I mean? Kind of reminds me, the setting kind of reminds me, dare I say, kind of like a Noah's Ark kind of thing. I get that feel, right? It's like that we're all in it together, as messy as sometimes as it is. But my gravitation is always up, kind of towards up, so. Even the first time that I came, I kind of looked up, but it was at night. But nevertheless, you know, it's, that's, that's what's peering through. So. Well, yeah, I mean, of course, this, like, totally freaks me out. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm, being, I'm being honest. You know what I mean? Because it's the opposite of what I'm used to. I mean, you walk into a church, I mean, there's color everywhere. Not only stained glass windows, icons, boom, 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 color everywhere, right? And so that way, I don't have to look up. I don't have to look at the light that's peering through, you know? So. Once again, I think all of you for taking time out today. It really was fantastic, wonderful. I'd love... Uh, to thank, of course, the wonderful people at Rothko Chapel for making this uh, possible for me to spend time with you guys today. I really enjoyed it.